to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of the first 90 days by Michael D. Watkins, Critical Success Strategies for New Leaders at All Levels. A long career at a single company is increasingly becoming a thing in the past. That means because leaders at all levels experience transitions between different roles, the ability to transition quickly and effectively is a critical skill. Studies have shown that a typical leader has been promoted 4.1 times, moved between business functions such as like going from sales to marketing or something, 1.8 times, joined a new company 3.5 times, moved between business units 1.9 times, and this totals 13.5 major transitions per leader. So one every 1.3 years. That's a lot of transitioning. That's a hell of a lot of transitioning. Some are parallel, some are you know, steps from one division to another, some are steps up, some are changing companies entirely. But on average, they found that these leaders were changing every, you know, one, 1.3 years, they're moving into a new role. So you need to learn how to move to a new role successfully. Now, they say that the President of the United States has got 100 days to prove himself. I heard this with uh, Joe Biden, obviously, before him, when Trump got in, there's a huge focus on the first 100 days to get a whole bunch of shit done. Now, this is no different for us when we're moving into our own leadership or new transitioning into new roles. The only difference is we've only got 90 days to prove ourselves. So this book is all about the principles that you need to apply to your own career transition. And no matter what your situation or what level you're at, these are things you can apply to your first 90 days in your new job. So I was recommended this book by a mentor of mine because I'm actually transitioning right now into a new role. Uh, something that everyone will have to do at some stage, probably one of those books where it's not relevant to, I'd say, 96% of the audience listening right now. Right now, yeah. But it will be relevant for 100% of the audience. Well, yeah, on average, in, at some point in the next 1.3 years, you probably need this. <laughs> yeah, so being conscious about the transition and actually making sure... Being intentional. Being intentional, yeah. as you'd say, Astro, and making sure you're knocking things out of the park very early is going to set you up for success in, in your role throughout your career. The author surveyed more than 1,300 senior HR leaders and almost 90% agreed that transitions into a new role are the most challenging times in a professional life and nearly three quarters agreed that success or failure during the first few months is a strong predictor of overall success or failure of the job. No pressure, Jonesy. Oh, I know. It gets you a little bit nervous here. <laughs> a little bit like reading Matthew Walker's While We Sleep. It's very good to read some of that stuff. But it really psychs you out when you try and get to sleep that <laughs> night and realize how important it is to get to sleep. So no different to a job because reading this, you realize that your first 90 days, if you don't do it right, it could actually spell the end of your whole career and your upward trajectory and throw you back, <laughs> on the, throw you back down the gurgler. Well, the good news is that transitions give you a chance for a fresh start for you, but also for the company. They also, by bringing in someone new, they can make the changes that they know need to be made to the organization. But as we said, the transition period is also very uh, a point where you're acutely vulnerable. You haven't got the established working relationships that you might need, and you also don't really have a thorough understanding of the role or the business. Now, opinions of your effectiveness begin to form surprisingly quick. As humans, as we've covered in a few books, we do judge books by their covers, and first impressions have a disproportionate uh, leverage on your perception of somebody. So if you're successful in building credibility and securing early wins, the momentum you have at the start is going to set you up. But if you dig yourself in a hole very early on, you're going to face an uphill <laughs> battle for the remainder of that you're in that job. Now, there's a whole bunch of traps uh, that are really 
uh, lying all over the place for anyone heading into a new role or into a new company, whatever your new transition is. And there's, there's all these traps that we need to be aware of so that we can try to avoid them. The first big trap that a new leader can fall into is sticking with what you know. You think that you've whatever you've done, whatever skills you had, whatever actions you took to be successful in the past are the exact things that you need to be successful in this new job. And by only sticking with what you already know, you're going to miss out on all the new opportunities that you need and the new skills that you need to develop in front of you. And it's pretty related to another trap, which is the action imperative. I think when you move into a new role, you want to just show everyone who's put faith in you to hire you that you're pretty good at what you do. So, you just want to start doing shit, doing Mm. shit straight away and just take action on a whole bunch of stuff and put your stamp on the organization. But in this busyness and in this action, you're actually not learning what you Mm. need to do about the company because you're better off just sitting back and learn and then take action later on. Another big uh, trap is setting unrealistic expectations. It's sort of a fine needle that you need to thread, a fine balance you need to get between. You obviously want to sell yourself in the interview, but if you sell yourself too hard and they've got unrealistic expectations that you're going to come and change their world, then you might be uh, setting yourself up to miss those expectations. You haven't heard- Cheeky, cheeky one of me there. No, not at all. Oh, mate, I, Just, I, it's a very, it's a very, uh, very doing, common one. I was one. doing some big talk in the uh, in the interview <laughs> as well. So if I got something that's gonna gonna come back to bite, it's uh, doing the the big talk in the interview. <laughs> anyway, we'll try. It. We'll we'll come through with the goods. I think. Uh, another trap is uh, coming in with the answer. You think you've got the exact answer to solve their biggest problem, and you think that uh, you know this is it. I've got the key to unlock your door. But of course, without actually getting a thorough understanding and learning about their company and their problems first, you're probably not going to have the right answer. Another is engaging in the wrong type of learning. Like when you join, you might spend too much time focusing on all the technical parts of the business, but you don't really just take the time to learn the cultural and the political dimensions of the role. Um, Without the cultural insight, relationships, and learning how the information spreads throughout the organization, it's going to be hard for you to understand what's really going on later down the track. And the final big trap we've got is neglecting horizontal relationships. It's pretty obvious, you know, you need to get on well with your boss, so and you also need to get on well with your direct reports. So those vertical relationships are the obvious ones, but the things that everyone misses is the horizontal relationships. So it's the people who aren't directly in your team, they're not your manager and they're not people you're managing, but they're the people that you really need to get along well with in order to be effective. So transition failures happen because new leaders, when they go in, they misunderstand the essential demands of the situation or they lack the skill and the flexibility to adapt to whatever the new role is that is in front of them. However, the good news is, thanks to books like this and Big Michael over here, he has come up with some systematic... It was Michael, wasn't it? I think so. (laughs) Michael just popped up in the brain. (laughs) Michael from the pub. Systematic uh, methods you can employ to lessen the likelihood of actually digging a big hole and jumping in it and uh, ruining your whole career. When we're talking about your first 90 days, you might think that day one is your first day of the job. Well, it is, but you've also got day zero, really, I guess, everything that happens before day one. So your transition period really begins the moment that you learn that you're being considered for a new job. So through the entire recruitment process and from especially from that, I guess, that void between the day that you're told that you've got the job and the four or six weeks until you actually start is an important part of the transition period. Thus, we need to use this 90-day period as a planning horizon and be very intentional about these 90 days. And you can set your goals and your plans uh, for your first day on the job. Then you can do it for your first week, focus on your next month after that, then your second month, and then your third month. So 
being intentional about how we're going to handle these first three months, we're going to set ourselves up for success. Julia Gould was an absolute superstar in marketing, and she was so good that she was promoted to lead a major product development project. So she was known for intelligent, focused determination, and I got her this recognition from the seniors within the organization. So she was on such an upward trajectory that she was assigned to be the launch manager for one of the company's hottest new products. So it was her responsibility, now a rung up, not just control marketing, but be cross-functional and control uh, multiple teams at the same time, including sales, R&D, and manufacturing. So obviously the goal here, she was getting promoted within the same company. The higher-ups had recognized her. Uh, they designated her as someone with high potential. They sort of pegged her as someone on the fast track for senior leadership. So her goal was to seamlessly move away from the functional uh, marketing stuff she'd be doing to more of the managerial leadership type of stuff where she had, the, as you mentioned, the sales, R&D, manufacturing, this brand new product. She had this whole big project that she was meant to be managing, but unfortunately for poor Julia, she ran into trouble pretty early. Her success as a marketer came as a result of her extraordinary attention to detail and uh, this sort of like, whilst it helped in marketing, was sort of the thing that stood in her way of actually progressing further in her career. So with this extraordinary attention to detail, she had a high need for control and a bit of a tendency to micromanage, but across multiple divisions, she obviously couldn't control everything at the same time and didn't give enough space for the other leaders that she was leading. So the other ones actually started to challenge her knowledge and her authority. And now she was a bit stung. She was getting a bit attacked and she was a bit vulnerable because she didn't know much about what the other people were doing. So she focused on what she knew best and that was the marketing aspects of the launch. But her micromanaging made the other members of the marketing team and other leaders start alienating her. And uh, within a month and a half, Julia was back in marketing and someone else was leading the team. (laughs) I think she was pretty much uh, scratched off the list for future leader as well. She failed to grasp that the strengths that had made her successful in marketing were actually liabilities in a role that required her to lead without direct authority or superior expertise. She just kept doing what she knew how to do, uh, which made her feel confident and in control, but she missed a whole bunch of other stuff uh, and she'd really squandered this massive opportunity to rise up inside her organization. Yeah, my brain just goes to a bit of game theory in this context. If you think about the art of strategy, where one type of game is just chopping a log and no matter what you do, you're chopping the log and the log doesn't fight back. But sometimes if you're a general in a war, you need to actually respond to how the other army is planning. So your strategy needs to match the situation and this is something that Julia failed to do and adapt and learn and grow in this new situation. So some things we can learn from Julia is you need to balance breadth and depth. Obviously, she went deep in marketing and she was really good at that. But the higher up you go, each time you get promoted, your horizons broaden and you encompass a wider set of issues and decisions. So basically, every time you step up, your responsibilities become broader and you need to start sort of looking more laterally and less just deep and dirty in your own thing. As you move up, you're less on the cold face and you're starting to delegate more. So you need to rethink exactly what you're going to be delegating a lot more. And a real key of this is actually building a team of competent people around you who you can trust and establish goals and metrics for them and then also monitor their progress. As you move up as well, you need to influence differently. Conventional wisdom says that the higher up you go, the easier it is to get things done. That's not necessarily true because paradoxically, when you get promoted and you 
seem to take on more authority, you're actually dealing with other people who have more authority as well. As in everyone who moves up, moves up for a reason. It's because they're ambitious, because they're good at what they do, because they get shit done. So basically, you're no longer competing with people at the bottom. You're now competing with people at the top. And they've also all got different uh, agendas that don't match yours. So you need to learn really how to influence and uh, the whole game gets a lot more political. So Julia, what we've covered up to this point is one situation where you're going into a new role because you've been promoted within an internal organization with within your company. Uh, there's another type of career transition and that's when you're onboarding into a new company. And we've got a different story here. David Jones, not the retail store, but David Jones from Energix. I'm sure you've heard of him. He <laughs> <laughs> must be the same bloke, yeah? Maybe when, uh, when David's done a lot stuff. in his life, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. So, David, he was also a bit of a superstar, right? So, he was originally at a rapidly growing wind company and he was poached by a highly regarded global manufacturing firm. So, his background was engineering and in this bigger firm, he'd risen steadily through the ranks in R&D and was all of a sudden vice president of a new product development for the electrical distribution division. So, David, he's turned into a bit of a big dog here. On one critical project that Energix was doing, they were doing this new generation large turbine, but they were nearly a year behind schedule and already way over budget. So Dave came away from his first couple of weeks in the job, not sure what really held them together, uh, but he was still convinced that he could push the whole team to the next level and get this shit done. But of course, Dave hit roadblocks. There was always going to be roadblocks if they were a year behind schedule and already way over budget, there was something standing in the way. David found that the senior management committee meetings were getting just out of hand. They were getting very frustrating. Things were actually getting worse. He was used to this highly disciplined meetings with clear agendas, rigorous structure, actionable decisions. But he found that this committee just liked to talk. They were sort of going around and around. They needed consensus rather than majority. And it was just becoming an agonizing process. So David got a little bit wild, which is pretty understandable because the performance was so poor and he was just, he was just seeing low standard performances within meetings and lack of productivity. So he decided to revamp new product development. He moved a few people along within the organization. He took over the new meetings. He outlined the resources, equipments, and he got external consultants in to do the work instead. So he felt like he was making some good progress, but he found that he became really, the, the, the CEO was stonewalling him. He later learned that others were telling the CEO that Dave was just a bull in a china shop. He was just running a rampage, going around doing all this shit. David thought he was doing the right thing, but everyone on the team thought that David was just this wild character, this gunslinging cowboy that came in and, and was just running to his own agenda. So David, like our friend earlier, he also got the boot for different reasons. He didn't adapt to the new culture of the organization and put so many people offside, including the CEO, that they had no choice but to get rid of him. So joining a company is like an organ transplant and you're the new organ. If you're not thoughtful in adapting to the new situation, you could end up being attacked by the organizational immune system and getting rejected. This is a really great analogy, isn't it? Because an organ might work in one human body and the immune system loves it. Put the organ in another one and then the immune system does the absolute opposite. They do whatever they can to get rid of it. David makes a lot. I reckon there's a bit of David in me and you, Asho. I'll, I'll pull you under the bus with me here as well. <laughs> Sitting in meetings and, you know, if it's not getting productive or anything like that, it's very hard to sit there when everything's so political and nothing's get done. Mm. I see you. Yeah, that's, when it's time to go, that's when it's time to go rogue. A few years ago, I um, yeah, 
I remember pulling out a laptop mid-meeting and stuff like that just because it was just a waste of time. But in hindsight, that's a very dumb move because... <laughs> that's um, that's when the organ gets rejected. That's, that's the organ sure. getting rejected <laughs> yeah. as well. But I didn't get rejected, which is good. It actually turns out that people like outside hires actually have a higher failure rate than those who are promoted from within. Now, there's a couple of reasons. People who come from outside are, of course, not familiar with the informal networks of information and communication obviously you know that the official hierarchies but there's plenty of stuff going on below the surface outside hires they're not familiar with the corporate culture and often uh, might whip out their laptop stream meetings and think mm. that that's the right thing to do and uh, new people who are unknown to the organization therefore they don't really come in with that same level of credibility as someone who's already uh, been in there and gets promoted from within so we need to overcome these barriers when we're joining a new company and put a lot of focus, not just on the technical skills, which might get you trapped and you're probably biased towards at the very start, but have a think of the business orientation, the stakeholder connections, the alignments of expectations and the cultural adaption. So culture, it's, pretty, it's a pretty arbitrary thing, isn't it? Like what is, what is a culture? But what Michael says, it is a set of consistent patterns people follow for communicating, thinking and acting and all grounded in their shared assumptions and values. You've got some of the surface stuff of the culture, like the shared language, like the acronyms or the, the code names uh, that people use for things. So you obviously got to pick that up pretty quickly. But then beneath the surface layer, there's this whole bunch of uh, less visible and deeper cultural things. So like the organizational norms, accepted patterns of behavior. These include the things like uh, how do you act in meetings? What happens when there's conflict? How do you get shit done? How do you influence people? How do you get support from the right parties? There's all of these subtle things that no one can really teach you about that you really need to learn and adapt to. So far, we've spoken a lot about the philosophical strategic approach uh, to this career transition. Now, let's go for three actionable bangers, accelerating your learning, negotiating success, and securing early wins. The big thing people fail in is their planning to learn. And this means figuring out well in advance what's the important questions that you have and what is the best way of finding the answers for them. Because very few new leaders come in and take the time to think systematically about their learning priorities. And very few explicitly create a learning plan when entering their new role. Yeah, you really need to find the right balance here between doing and being. So doing is obviously getting in there and doing shit, taking action, making things happen, and being is stepping back, observing, and reflecting. If you're brand new, especially whether you are promoted or coming into a you know a brand new organization, and probably especially if you're in a brand new organization, you shouldn't just think that you know all the answers. You definitely need to spend a big chunk of your first 90 days learning, observing, reflecting, working out the problems before you just say, here's the solution. If you don't focus on learning at the very start, you're going to make very poor decisions. You might undermine your credibility and you're probably going to alienate your potential supporters because you're not taking the time to go there and listen and like our old organ transplant, the immune system is probably going to attack you. You've got five specific questions here that you can ask everybody um, that you need to do just so you can learn, you can listen from them and you can actually get a proper understanding. He says you should ask, what are the biggest challenges the organization is facing? Why is the organization facing these? What are the promising unexploited opportunities for growth? What would need to happen to exploit these opportunities for growth? And if you were me, what would you do or what would you focus your attention on? I think just 
stepping back and asking people those and letting them talk, you'd learn a lot more than just saying, hey, Johnny, go and, uh, go and do this. Yeah, and I think if, as an employee, if your manager actually asks you these questions with sincerity, wanting to know what you have to say, then you're probably going to be on the right side with the manager from the very start and treat them a little bit differently and better as a leader. So you've got to create a learning plan. Matt, how are you going to create your learning plan? You're, uh, you're what, a week and a bit out from day one. You got to, how do you set this learning plan up now? I already have a whole bunch of just rough dot points in my head, but I think oh, probably on track with this is me come, not me coming in and say, hey, these are all the things I need to learn. It's probably actually mm. sitting down with the manager and going, all right, what do you think are the things I need to learn? And then doing it jointly with the manager. I think that's probably the approach I'll take. I like it. Do you like it? Good meta approach there. Yeah, nice. So that's uh, accelerate your learning, making sure you're focusing on learning, not just jumping straight into action. Next thing is negotiating success. Now, that means proactively engaging with your new boss to shape the game so that you've got a fighting chance of achieving those desired goals. Like uh, if you just go in and say, hey, boss, what do you need me to do? You're playing the game on their terms. You need to at least give yourself a chance to, to discuss and shape this game together so that it becomes a lot more realistic and you're not, you're not just doing what they tell you to do. So this relationship you have with your new boss is absolutely critical for success in your first 90 days because like you just say straight away, if they don't get along and they don't like you, they'll probably give you the ass and you probably mm. won't make it through probation. Mm. So there are some things you should be doing to give yourself the best odds of success in this sense. Firstly is don't stay away. You know, you shouldn't be waiting. This is probably what I would fall into the trap of, saying, falling into the <laughs> trap of, you know, it's their, it's their job. I'm the new person. They're the boss. It's their job to forge the relationship with me. You got to realize that you got to take a lot of responsibility for forging the relationship as well. Make sure you get on the boss's calendar regularly. Make sure you've got plenty of uh, meetings with her. Uh, make sure you're setting the expectations early uh, and make sure that you are actually building this relationship and not just going away and doing your stuff and they don't even know who you are. So it's your 100% responsibility to make this relationship work. Don't just wait for them to reach out to you and also adapt to your boss's style. If they like to just catch up for a business type lunch every Friday, do it like that or a coffee or just the calendar or a phone call, whatever it might be, it's your job to suit them. A big one is don't surprise your boss with bad news. Uh, no one likes to be given bad news but even worse is if you tell them too late. If you can say early on that, hey, there's a, some problems emerging, it gives you a chance to address it rather than saying, oh shit, we missed the deadline and now it's too late to fix anything. Uh, another big one is don't just always go to the boss with problems. Uh, you need to go to the boss with say, hey, here's a problem. How can we start to tackle it? How can we start to find a solution rather than just saying, here's the things that are going wrong? Another trap that I've fallen into and I think it'd be pretty normal is every time you catch up with the boss, just trying to sell yourself and all the mm -hmm. shit that you're doing. You might get this huge checklist and, and, and just want to fill the conversation, impressing him with how productive and how much shit you've been doing. But a lot of the time, your boss... She wants to focus on the most important things and the, your priorities and how she actually might be able to help as opposed to just hear about your list of <laughs> 30 little things back, yeah. and Good give you a pat Adam. on the back. <laughs> Definitely. And then the, the, third, the third big crucial thing you, you should be doing in these first nine days is securing early wins. So you want to create a bit of momentum. You want to build a bit of personal credibility and the best way to do that is to secure a few early wins. Yeah, if you want to excite and energize people around you and also build your personal credibility, then you have to secure these early wins in your first 90 days and you're showing everyone how much value you are to the organization 
And if you think about when you join a company at the very start, you're probably just going to be a cost and a burden on them because mm. you're just learning. And at some point, you're going to be productive where you actually break even. So, there is this point in between these two spots where you break even and we want to get to the point where you're actually adding value as early as possible to them. One thing you don't want to do though is fall into the low-hanging fruit trap. Obviously, everyone says, oh, I can fix this, I can fix this and you cross a few things off the bottom of the to-do list, that low-hanging fruit and you can say, here's my three early wins but if everyone knows that low-hanging fruit, you're probably not going to get much credit for it. Low-hanging fruit is great at the very, very start to have an early win but pretty quickly, you need to start looking a little bit higher up the tree. Yeah, people notice, right? Like how hard the the piece of yeah. apple you got, and that That's is the, the boss comes in and just starts chopping, chomping on an apple in front of everyone <laughs> with a big smile. You're like, yeah, and I saw that apple yesterday. I could have yeah. grabbed it, but you know, if they if they climbed up the top of the three hundred foot Amazon <laughs> tree and um, took down a, a lion and a gazelle on the way up there, then it's, it's a nice a, tasty apple. It's a nice tasty <laughs> apple. Don't know what gazelles are climbing yeah. the Amazon trees, but <laughs> you never it. never know with some of those uh, analogies. <laughs> Life of a leader, it's always a balancing act, but never more so during a transition. You've got all this uncertainty and ambiguity. This can cripple you. You don't know exactly what you're doing. You haven't really had a chance to build a support network yet in your new role. And it compounds even more if you've moved family or anything else that's going on personally. So, it takes a lot of uh, discipline uh, and a lot of routine to really get yourself through this transition period. As we said at the top, uh, you're going to be transitioning all the time, whether that's up, down, sideways, within a company, moving to a new company. There's going to be all these periods of transition that are absolutely crucial to the next year or two years of your success, ultimately. Managing yourself is really key to this transition, or as you'd say, part one in getting your shit together. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> in, the, in the shit they never taught you is exactly this. And I'll be referring a lot to this over my next 90 days. And there are a few different personal disciplines we can take on. Like one of the most important things and pieces of advice is to stabilize the home front. Uh, it's well known that in warfare, the worst thing you can do is fight two wars on two mm. different fronts. And this is exactly what uh, old mate Hitler did. He could have actually won the Second World War, but he went to Russia, went to England, did all sorts of stuff at the same time. And this is probably my biggest mistake <laughs> I've done is uh, launching a new book, the shit they never taught you at the same time when this 90 days is landing mm. for the new job. So, it is going to be two wars. <laughs> I don't think you could have picked a worse time to get a new job. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But it happens a lot. Home life, you might be moving state with a new job. You might have a new family. So, there probably will be a time out of the 10 or so transitions we all have mm, definitely. where just by chance you're going to have two wars going on but we should avoid it if possible. You need to really stay on track in this first 90 days, this period of immense uncertainty and ambiguity and ultimately your success or failure will flow from all the small choices that you make along the way. The choices that either create momentum or they undermine your effectiveness. Your day-to-day actions during your transition establish a pattern that follows not only for the organization, but also for your personal efficacy and ultimately your own personal well-being as well. Mm-hmm.